Hello and welcome to another installment of the Listics AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norden, and we're here to pull apart another AFL playing list, analyse the key list indicators and determine what the club is missing and what moves they should be making in the off-season. I'm here with legendary co-host Sean Lewis. Sean, how are you doing this weekend, mate? Doing very well, thanks, John. Dees are in finals, so uh, very happy. Dees are in finals, and the team that we're covering this week are officially not in finals. That is Port Adelaide. So we've covered every other team that hasn't made finals, and Port Adelaide uh, announced themselves as the final team uh, to fall outside today. We were waiting until the Geelong game to start recording, which is underway now, but they're up by 80 points, so I don't think Port Adelaide would have made the finals anyway. Uh, But it's, yeah, I mean, Port Adelaide were a team that, after the off-season last year, were full of promise. Um, They've probably been full of promise for the last four years since Hinkley came and, and got them into the eight and started really competing. Uh, and I think everybody believes that it's about time that they perform. Yeah, I mean, I guess when Port sit back and look at the year, they're going to be pretty disappointed. Um, they certainly rated their list and they had a, a really good end of season last year. Um, trade and draft. or Draft, they had a few later picks and stuff, but I still think they did draft quite well. Um, but yeah, they they definitely will be sitting back and having a good review on on where it all went wrong. And and you know, my opinion is that that the the issues probably don't lie so much with the list structure, and and maybe it's more to do with the coaching. But um, we'll cover that in a bit more detail. But yeah, if I was Port, um, next year's the time to to basically put up because they've got a list. Um, that looks like it can be a challenger, but um, it just comes down to if they can get the right coaching and get the right blokes on the park. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, just looking at their age profile, they're the sixth oldest in the AFL, and their average games is 72.5, which is the second most in the AFL. These are all signs that the club should be playing in finals, um, and they should be really... They're in the they're in the box seat um, as far as experience to age ratio goes. So... For me, they need to uh, probably double down on their current strategy and and go. You know, this year was a down year. Um, we need to stop this shitty um, defend at all costs thing and start playing some more attacking football, which made them so exciting. Um, and not be afraid to give up bigger margins because I think in the second half of the year they were exposed for just not scoring enough. Yeah, like if you look at the game, the current game today, um, it's not the the 2006 Sydney and West Coast side where you know winning a grand final with 65 points is is you know they can do it. Um, these days, it's not just all on your defence. It's it's your offence is is probably more um, more important because most most kids coming through and and most teams now teach a very defensive game structure to young young um, players and then it's about them starting bringing out their attacking attributes which last year they did really well I mean like last year they were the number one offensive side in the AFL they scored the most points in the regular season and yet here they are just one year later having added you know uh, two finishing players in in Watson Motlop and and uh, another midfield um, body um, one who can who can kick reasonably all right in Tom Rockliffe, and and yet they've slipped to number twelve. Um, and every time I watch them, it's just their ball movement's so stagnant. Everything's just there's no fluency in their game, um, and there's no 
you know, if it's not Polek breaking off the half-back line, often it's a 35-metre kick sideways and then chip it down the ground. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't. And the problem with that game style, and this is what Essendon experienced in the first half of this year as well, when they were playing that sort of high-possession, control-the-play game, which they still do play. They still like to control possession. But you have to, when you've got the when you've got a run on, when you the team with the momentum, you have to score heavily, quickly. And that's what they weren't doing this year. It was like at all times, even when everything was going their way, they were more content on controlling the ball, which allowed the opposition team to set up and sort of slow the game down than they were on scoring heavily themselves. Whereas the other teams I know Geelong especially are a team for this and they're probably Geelong aren't as good a team as Port Adelaide are um, but when they have the flow and the, they're kicking goals they kick six and then they try to defend they just kick bang 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 and then they worry about what's happening at the other end of the ground because you've got to be able to capitalise that's what Richmond do really really well as well yeah. as soon as they they're happy to happy to go toe to toe for a while and as soon as they see an opening they kill and that's what Port Adelaide have not been able to do yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing, like I think I feel like the high possession game style of, of Hawthorne, which is is what a lot of teams like Essendon and Port have been trying to, to copy, um, I feel like either they don't have the cattle to execute in terms of like and we'll speak about this the midfield skills a bit later, but they don't really have the kicking skills to execute the, the Hawthorne game plan, but they also don't empower their players by the looks of things to really move that ball quickly. Like Hawthorne play a short chipping game style um, when they want to control the ball. But the Hawk, the you know, say it's um, Stratton kicks it out of the back line, it hits Burton. Burton's moved that ball on within one or two seconds. Um, whereas Port, you know, watching last night against Essendon, you know, you've... They're turning back, kicking across the ground, and then you know Ebert or Bokes taking a mark, and then holding the ball, holding the ball, holding the ball. Yep, wait, wait. Okay, now I've got to play a free over here or kick it over here. And by this stage, you've got you know 18 opposition now behind the ball. Yeah, and and one of the things that I I think probably the most about their list that that's an issue. I think they've got a lot of good things about their list, but one of the things I think is probably the biggest issue is that they have a poor or inexperienced backline. And some of these guys will come on and be good players, but Bonner, Burn Jones, uh, Dougal Howard, Houston, Cleary, and Leinart are all inexperienced. They're all playing in their uh, first or second year of regular football, and playing a high possession controlling game plan uh, behind the ball means that you're entrusting these guys that aren't experienced enough yet to make the right decisions all the time to be playing this sort of controlling game plan. And, I mean, I covered it with Fremantle the other week. The year that Fremantle should have made the grand final, they lost to Hawthorne uh, with Cyril taking that ball off Tommy Sheridan when he spilt the mark. That was an inexperienced player. That was an inexperienced Tommy Sheridan. That was maybe a second or third year when he was a 50-gamer that spilt that mark, not a 150-gamer. Um, and if they're going to try to play this game where they control behind the ball, they need to have an experienced back line and an inexperienced forward line, but instead they have an experienced forward line and an inexperienced back line, so it doesn't work. Agreed. And, you know, for that reason, their game plan needs to, to change to a bit more offensive. And yep. and that's the thing, like, you know, 
I feel when I've watched them sometimes this year that they've got a game style that's reflective of like a bottom six team in that they're trying to teach their players the defensive mindset. And it's like, well, you've got the sixth oldest list profile. You've got the majority of your best 22s actually over 25. We'll go into that in a minute as well. But you don't, you, you shouldn't be just all focused on defense. You should be going, well, you guys have got enough experience. You've got the second most games in the AFL across your list. Week to week, you're probably up there in the top five. And you need to entrust that they, these guys who have been around, you know, these guys they brought in, what, what, what's all these? These guys can, they know how to kick a footy. They know how to, you know, get into attacking positions. They're finishers. Yes. They're, you know, you've got Big Charlie down there. You've got Robbie Gray, Chad Wingard. You know, you've got some great players down there. But you just, if, you, if your ball movement's slow, you're not giving these finishers the ability to get the ball into the right spots. Um, yes. And then, you know, like the, the perfect play to sign up Port Adelaide for the year happened last night against Essendon. I think it was um, uh, basically Motlop ran out, chipped it out to Watts on the wing. Watts turns, kicks it back into centre-half forward. Um, one of their younger guys, uh, I think it could have been um, Kane Farrell, took a, took a good mark. Um, and then... He's got Westhoff has slipped out the back towards the goal square, and then you've got Robbie Gray leading um, out to the left from the goal square with Aaron Francis behind him. So, you know, Farrell's got a reasonable kick on him. If he if he swings onto the foot and and pumps it over the back towards Westhoff, Westhoff's running into an open goal. Um, but instead, he he goes for Robbie Gray because that's he he's young and inexperienced, and Robbie Gray gets outmarked by. Aaron Francis and you know that's a, a certain goal that's just gone and it just simply comes from you know these players aren't training to, to play this attacking game style so they their decision making when they've got the ability when they've got the chance to do it is quite poor yeah and with the midfielders they've got as well uh, they're pump and um, pump and go like as in yeah. Sam Pal Pepper Ollie Wines uh, Bogue, they're not these kind of classy players that are trying to feed it to a runner on the outside or anything. They're just trying to get the ball long and deep as quickly as possible. And if that's your game style, which it's not the worst game style, like it can work if you've got a really strong forward line, which they can have at times. But if you're playing it the right way and you're bombing that ball in again, like to Dixon, Gray, Motlop, Watts, and Westoff and Wingard... That's like probably the most dangerous six-man six forward line in the comp. But instead what they do is play all of those players defensively um, because they don't have talented, like super classy players in the midfield. They sacrifice their forward class and bring those players up into the middle and then they bomb it. And they bomb it to the wings and wide, like half-forward flanks and stuff like that where they can set up their defence effectively from rather than how can we score as much as possible. Now, we're going to have to... We're going to... Sorry, go, you go, and then we'll oh. move off the game plan. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Um, I was just going to say, and, and the thing, and it's really key that they get this, this part right because when you look at their best players and you look at the, you know, what the best players are in three years... You know the time for them is now. Robbie Gray, thirty-one next year. Westoff, thirty-two next year. Paddy Ryder, thirty-one, already struggling with injuries. Travis Bokes, thirty. Charlie Dixon is twenty-seven. He's the only one of probably their top five players in terms of 
um, importance to the team who's under 28 years old. So when you go and you look three years in the future, obviously Dixon's going to be there, but he'll be, you know, three years' time, Dixon's going to be almost 30. Um, you've got Ollie Wines, you've got Chad Wingard, I think Todd Marshall will come on really well, um, and Sam Powell Pepper of their current list that we can say in three years is going to be an important player. But I'm not sure if, if that's saying a lot for your depth when Sam Powell Pepper is a, is a key in three years. I think Sam Powell Pepper is a, is a good footballer, and I think he's, he's, a great, he's going to be a really good, honest midfielder for you. But the bit where Port Adelaide's succeeding is when Sam Powell Pepper's midfielder number three or four. You know, you can't... He's he's the one you rely on to go crash and bash and win a footy with Ollie Wines. Let the Bash brothers go at it. And then, you know, but there's, they're lacking that class on the outside. And I'd say Chad Wingard's that class. But Wingard, like Gray, has this... Um, I don't want to say selfishness, but they, they feel like they have to carry it all on their shoulders. So every time they, they uh, are in a contest... They, they run away themselves with the ball. They don't look to bring in their teammates um, and get the ball outside to a, to, a, to a winger or something, which I think is also a part of the, the structural game coaching issues that they've got. So uh, yeah, I guess we'll leave the structural and game plan there. But Yeah, well, it's, it's, it is still interesting because like the two people you mentioned there, Wingard and Gray, they're forwards. Like, they're forwards through and through, and forwards are intentionally selfish because if they get the ball and they can see the goals, and then they should be trying to kick it. And that's why they play that way when they're in the midfield as well, is because their instinct is to get the ball and look up and look at what they can do with the ball, uh, rather than people that have been in midfielders for their entire life who are used to trying to control the ball before they release it. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, it's a... It's a super interesting um, team because they should be better than what they are. They're, they are underperforming right now. Yeah, agreed. And, I mean, look, like getting back into the list type of stuff, as you said, you know, we, we said they're the, the sixth oldest on average age and they're the second most experienced. And then when you start looking at the balance across the age group, so this isn't looking where the games are played, this is just looking at the ages of your your players on your list they've actually got a really nice balance through um through all kind of four categories so they got 22 percent in under 21s 33 in the 21 to 24 bracket 25 percent in the 25 to 28 bracket and 20 percent in the over 28s and you know that's that that to me when i look at a list i sit there and go well they've got a good spread it means that in three years time you should have people coming in to replace your leaders you should have that under 21 group moving into the the 21 to 24 and the 21 to 24 moving into the 25 to 28 so it's it's a good progression on your list but then when you start digging down into that you notice that while they've got 55 percent of their players are under the age of 25 they have um, only 16% of the total games in that uh, in that under 25 group. Like you've got 55% of your list is under 25, yet you've only got 16% of your games. That you know, 80 84% of your games are in players over the age of 25. So you know um, that that's a little bit concerning. So in three years, when they lose, you know, the Westoffs, the 
um, riders and these guys, you know, you're looking at you're looking at that over 28 bracket. You're looking at losing something like almost 1,900 games. Uh, yeah, and that that's the next three years. Yeah, it's very similar to uh, North Melbourne in that way, and they're probably going to finish behind North Melbourne if North Melbourne win this week. Um, in that way that they're just it's like they're so experienced and they're playing for now which I think in Port Adelaide's case is probably more acceptable than North. I think that North have got to probably look at where they should be, and I think they're trying to win now, but I don't think that they will. Um, and uh, they should be rebuilding a bit more. But Port Adelaide, they've just got to capitalise. Like they they have to they have to sacrifice the future because they're they're so they're in so deep already. Um, which is why I, I'm reckoning they probably need to double down and and work out. If there are some experienced players uh, that they can bring in on really low money uh, to replace some of these guys that are out of contract and probably uh, flailing a little bit, and do you, do you want to actually move into some of the out of contract players because I think well, there's a couple of them to get through. I was just, I was just going to go. There's probably just just one or two more points I want to touch on. Um, okay. Now, now we, you know, we've spoken about, obviously, Paddy Ryder being a critical part for them. Now, last year, they let um, Jackson Trengove go. Um, they they hadn't... I think the relationship might have been pretty sour, and, and but they ended up, you know, letting him go. But in a way, that's actually... That, that cost them pretty heavily this year because it meant that their next backup ruck was either Billy Frampton or a rookie in Sam Mays. Uh, Sam Hayes, sorry, not Sam Mays. Um, and... Paddy Ryder hasn't got the best injury history, as we all know, and it reared its head in what the third quarter of the first game. Um, and then, and I know, you know, when we've spoken about football, you would have heard me say the term, you know, arrogant selection or arrogant coaching. Um, yeah. Which is what I feel a few sides this year have done, Melbourne included. Um, it's where. It's where the coaches, I guess, and the, or the selection committee, not just the coaches, there's a full selection committee there, they they pick a team purely saying that, you know, we can replace um, Paddy Ryder with, you know, Westhoff, Dixon and Howard. Um, and then that means we'll bring in the next best player on our list. What you end up doing when you do that is you end up sacrificing your best full forward, who's also key to your structure, in... Dixon. You end up sacrificing your main fullback. Now you've let Jackson Trengove go. He can't come in and play fullback or ruck, but you know, you're sacrificing Dougal Howard, who in the first game was fantastic at fullback, and then he had five very ordinary games, and I think he actually ended up getting injured. And then Justin Westhoffs, who, who's your roaming link man, you're effectively pulling him out of being able to play that position where he can expose other teams on his height and with his... Um, you know, running and all that stuff. And you, you, you're you wasting those three players by putting them in the ruck. And it's such a physical position. So what it means effectively is you've lost a structure down forward or your structure down back, and you've lost your link man, which is your ball movement. So effectively, by making that that decision to not just play a ruckman, and, and as Richmond have shown, you just need a ruckman who can compete in the air, doesn't have to win anything, but the moment it hits the ground, he has to be willing to tackle and work. And... And that's the thing. Like, I'm, and they're not the only side to do it this year, Port Adelaide. Um, and and I'm not just having a go at them. I'm having a go at every coaching team that do, that does this because it drives me nuts. You sacrifice your whole game plan 
because you don't want to pick a backup ruck. And then they defend it by saying he's not ready to play AFL. Well, yeah. you only need the body there, mate. Like, don't... You know, Sean Griggs, a premiership ruckman, a backup premiership ruckman. Think about that, you know? Like, let's not overcomplicate this. So, I guess, yeah, like, we've talking about the poor game plan and then they, they their trade decision last year to let Trengove go cost him a backup ruck, which then led to them having this this selection decision saying that Frampton couldn't play and he debuted last night and did all right anyway. So I don't know, man. It's just, yeah, it's a yeah. big, big I mean, bug I'm, there for me. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I can hear. Um, and I, I completely agree. Every time where a club goes in and without like a, a key structural position, it, it makes me feel like they've just been playing too much um, like Xbox or PlayStation where a player is assigned a number and they're that number good. As in, if you're playing NBA, they're a 94, which means they're a really good player, regardless of where you put them on their playing, like they're rated a 94. It doesn't actually take into account how comfortable that person is, the effect it has on team structure and the gameplay. So it's not the same as that. In life, it's much different. And not having a another big body to kick the ball to like you normally would with a Ruckman. Um, not having somebody uh, in there, like like when you're going forward and you've just taken out your key full forward and put him up into the Ruck and then you win the hit out and you win the clearance and you're streaming forward and not having a big body leading back at you. Um, it's That stuff is all mental and it, it eventually takes a toll regardless of what their results were like during the period, uh, wins and losses. That that game plan looked shit house when they didn't have a ruck in the team. Yep, absolutely agreed. All right, let's move into off contracts. Yeah, because otherwise I could just talk for yeah. an hour shredding Port Adelaide's game plan this year. Yeah, um, me too, man. Okay, then. Um, the 12 years of service, uh, Justin Westoff, you've got to recontract him, right? Yeah, keep him. He's He's a fantastic player for him. Yeah, he's a warrior. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, Jake Need, seven years. I feel like he, I feel like he didn't debut seven years ago. Maybe, um, yeah. I I don't know about Jake Need. I, I would probably. I don't know if anyone would be interested in trading for him, but I would probably delist him. Yeah, I've got him as a delist. I mean, he. What is he? He's twenty four, going on twenty five. Um, yeah, he's been on the list for a fair while. Um, he's on the periphery. I guess it's it comes down to the decision. Are we loading up for a flag, and then maybe you, you might keep him um, on a on a low contract? But otherwise, I'd probably delist him. Yep, uh, I think delisting him is the right move. Um, probably the biggest talking point for them in the off season so far is is Jared Pollock. Mm, this is a very interesting one, and to be honest, I, I really like Port's stance by the sounds of what we're seeing in the media. So, obviously, for those who don't know, Jared Pollock has reportedly been offered a $3.5 million over five years by North Melbourne, um, which, you know, we don't know how true that figure is. It's obviously in the media, but that's just what's reported, and that's what we've got to go off. And he, you know, that's obviously a very big sum of money for him to be to go across for and I don't think Port will match that but Port's also come um, has pretty much said they want Kangaroo's first rounder which I think is more than fair like if you're willing to offer a bloke um, the better part of 750 grand a season um, 
you know what, you you got to pay the price. You obviously value him as a first 22 player, and that's going to cost you your first-round pick. Now, there might be a little bit of pick-swapping at the back end, but, you know, I, I think that's a very good stance from Port Adelaide. So if, if he's going to get traded, maximise the value. Um, otherwise, you know, I know they'd love to keep him as well because he's a pretty decent player. So, but yeah. I would trade him. Um, like, he's at his maximum value that he's ever going to be worth right now. And I'm a huge believer in the fact that if, especially if he's going to be getting the contract offer that you're saying, then you're probably also going to be getting that first round pick, as you said. Um, and I just think you have to take it and run. Um, I don't think that he's worth uh, the amount of money that he's going to be paid. I think that he's played well, but I think that the game plan that Port Adelaide have been playing this year suits that, is in get like control the ball from behind the play. Um, a lot of times he was just starting on like 10 metres on the defensive side of the play and waiting for the ball to spill his way and then bombing it without even looking. Um, and that was his sort of role, which is why he got so much of the ball this year. But I don't think that he's... He's, he's nothing like some of the other ball users are in the competition. Um, and I think that he's highly replaceable, so I would trade him. Yeah, no, look, we, I think we're both in grants in that. Yeah, like he... If you're going to offer that money... Um, I don't think he's worth it either. Um, I think he has a tendency to butcher the ball. Maybe not as bad as um, Jasper Pittard, but um, he certainly, he's certainly, in my eyes, not worth a, a, a first-round pick. But if you're going to offer the money, you've got to pay the price. Just you know, yes, same, same thing that happened with the Demons and Jake Lever last year. Yeah, We offered Lever big money, and um, Adelaide rightly held us to account and, and forced a big, a big price. Yep. So... Completely agree. Um, okay, next one on our list is Cameron Hewitt. Um, he hasn't, hasn't done much, he, and I would delist him. Yep, he's on the rookie list. He's at the end of his three years. hasn't hasn't uh, broken in at all. I don't think. I don't think he's played a single game. So um, yeah, he's a delist for me. Yep, yep. zero games. He's a, yeah, he's a delist. Um, there is a guy that you might know a little bit about, Jimmy Tumpus. Yeah, yeah. So the Tump, um promised a lot, but unfortunately hasn't quite delivered. So I think his his time in the AFL might be done. Unfortunately, um, the yep. former number four pick. But uh, yeah, he just he's been putting up good numbers in the Sandful, and and he just hasn't been able to get a look in all season. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I don't with with a guy like uh, we'll cover Jack Trengove a bit later. Um, I think you'd keep Jack Trangove and, and let Jimmy go because I think Trangove probably offers a bit more than Jimmy. Yep, I agree. Um, we'll, let's just jump straight on to Trangove. Um, so you think that they should keep him? Yeah, I think if you're going for the, um, if you're going like we're suggesting, they need to be going for a flag and they need to double down on the strategy. Um, like Trangove has played, I think you know, four or five games this season for them. Hasn't been disgraced in any of them. Um, I think that he offers you a really good, really good midfield depth, um, and will also drive a very high standard to your younger guys and to those around him. Because you know, no one probably prepares themselves as good as he does, um, considering what he's been through. He also understands, you know, you know how limited your time at the top level can be. So I think he, he's a great role model, and on top of that, he's also been playing excellently all season. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that he would be a. I think he, I think that he probably deserves another year. Um, 
at least one more year to prove himself. I had originally down that I would delist him, but I think you made a good enough case for him there. <laughs> um, but the axe, yeah, the axe is going to be sharpened um, soon. Um, Will Snelling, <laughs> I would trade him. Um, I've got him down as a D-list one year or trade because I don't really know what to do with him. But he had a hot run of form at the end of the year um, where he had, I think, uh, maybe five out of seven games in the best. Um, and he's a short midfielder, so I don't know if he's going to make it, but he potentially might have some suitors somewhere. Um, I'd try to trade him if someone was interested, but probably won't be. He's a he's a rookie. Um, I don't think uh, you have yeah. much luck trading rookies. So he... yeah, it'd be like Sam Murray last year, where it'd be like a late pick swap, but that's it. Yeah. Um, even then, like I think he can technically walk if he's out of contract. Um, because of the if he's offered a main list spot rather than a rookie list spot, so I, th- yeah. I would I would be delisting him. He's three years in. Yeah, okay, he might be showing little green shoots, but you know. Um, that's a spot I'd like to see them to put it like in the, on the rookie list. Have a bit of a roll of the dice with with some uh, maybe mature age players from the Sandfall or the Waffle or the VFL. Yep. Uh, what about Emmanuel Era? D list. He's a Category B, but um, and he um, had a little bit of hype around him when he when they managed to pick him up because he he'd come through. Uh, he, I, th- I can't remember he, um, why he was a Category B, but he yeah. I, hasn't done enough struggling a bit at, at Sandful level um, yeah D-list sounds good to me mate um, Jared Leinart he's played pretty well in the in the last back back end of the year um, he's 24 so he was a mature age recruit at the time and I'd probably give him a one year contract yep on the rookie list I've got re-rookie for him um, He he's that ruck depth that they need they um you know, Sam Sam Hayes is out until mid-season with his with his ACL, um, and they've really only got Ryder and Billy Frampton. And depending on if they can get another one in the free agency, or, or yeah, I don't think they'll have much luck at the draft this year, unfortunately, um, with a ruckman. But yeah, I think you've you've got to re-rookie him and keep him for depth, and especially considering his mature age. Yeah. Um... The next one I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on. There's been a little bit of whispers around him, and that's Joe Attlee. Yeah, so the whispers you're hearing is that he might be returning to, to Melbourne to play with his brother at North Melbourne, another one North trying to poach. Is that yep. that one? That's that's that whisper. Yeah. Um, look, uh, he's not getting a run. Um, he's played, I think, three or five games or something um, in the two years he's been there since he got drafted. I would like to see him keep him if they can. Um, but if he thinks he's going to get better opportunities back in Melbourne, um, you could definitely recoup a, a second-round pick for him, I believe. Yeah, I don't know if you'd get that much for him. Uh, I've actually got him down as a D-list slash trade, and it's because they had a couple of these picks a little while back where they took a couple of players in the 30s um, as their earliest picks when they were trading at early selections, and he just hasn't come on. Uh, his sample form has been average. Um, he's hardly got in the best all year. And for a player of his sort of type, I think that he, you should be expecting better. Um, they have a couple of midfielders that are sort of fighting their way in, and he's seems to be at the bottom end of those. So if North are interested in, in tacking him onto the Polek trade, I would take that, just let him go, 
and invest in somebody else. I don't think it's worked out. Yeah, look, if the Polek trade means that you get that first round pick from North, yep. um, and you give up both of them, yeah, great, go for it. Yeah. If you don't have to do a pick swap at the end, that's better. Yeah, I agree. Um, Peter Laddams, I am delisting him. Yeah, okay. Um, I guess mine is around the rucks. So, yeah. he, so Peter Laddams is probably a forward more than he's a ruck, but he's also 203 centimetres. Yeah, he's big. Um, what I've said is that if if they don't get a ruck in trading and uh, free agency and drafting that can come in and do something, I would keep him on the rookie list, re-rookie him for one year. If if they can get, um, and we'll touch on this in a minute, but if they could get a life set, which they're into, um, or they could get... Um, potentially a Bailey Williams or maybe one of the mature age rucks running around in the um, in the, the sandfall or something or even if they could pry a Pruce or a, or a Darcy away from, from their teams, then you can delist him. I think the decision comes down to uh, if they get a ruck in, he can go. Yeah. So... Yep. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that if he, if he can play ruck, then maybe... Um, so yeah, if just give him a rookie list spot. Um, Lindsay Thomas, I'm gonna give him uh, one more year. I think that his stats um, have actually been pretty good as far as like compared to what his career stats are like. They're pretty much on par. His tackles have gone up and his goals have gone down. But I think that's a, a symptom of the way that Port Adelaide are playing rather than um, his his output. So I'd give him another year. Yep. Um, given like what we've said, the whole premise of how we're looking at this in that port need to load up, you got to keep it. And I guess then you're probably thinking the same with Trent McKenzie. Yeah, this one's a bit of an interesting one. Uh, until the AFL suggested that they were going to start toying with the um, the goal square length, I guess I was thinking Trent McKenzie might struggle for another year. Yep. But given that this bloke's a, six, a solid 60 metre kick. Um, and they're going to extend another 10 metres next year, probably. You've got a guy who can almost kick it to centre-half forward, yeah. kicking out from full-back, or from the, the square. I'm um, I'm pretty... I would keep him, because um, he gives you that depth. Um, if a, a, a Clury or a Burn Jones or a Jonas or something, you know, one of your third or fourth... Um, defenders goes down and that's kind of yeah that's where he fits but also I think that he's a player that could benefit from these rule changes that they're proposing as well so his left foot becomes more of a weapon yeah he becomes more of an NFL style punter at a fullback where you're just getting as much ground as possible and then you set up your structures behind that because if he can loft the ball over the center square 80 percent of the time um, while you set your pack up there and set off plays to run forward from there, but also allow your back line just to settle itself, um, it, it seems like a pretty good game plan. I mean, I would I would delist him if they don't make the changes, and he's potentially one of those players you wait until after um, after the draft to to re-sign. But yep. uh, yeah, I I think that's a reasonable thought. Well, yeah, I think it, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head in NFL style punter. That's you know, Ben Graham is the first person that comes to mind, isn't it? And, you know, he used to... The amount of times you can remember as a kid watching him 
regularly hit the centre circle at Cadinia Park for the Cats. Yeah. You know, what a weapon that was for them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something that AFL clubs probably don't use enough because um, they're worried about the way that they're going to be viewed by the media and others. But um, playing that sort of field position, um, chaos ball, is is I think better than what teams think that it actually is. Yeah. Um, and that's all of their out of contract. So we're going to move into the trade and draft and free agency area now, and I think it's pretty vital for them to at least make some moves in this area and I think if they're delisting some of their lower end players like we've suggested that they should be that topping up with some um, senior players that you might have to pay a whole lot for would be a good idea yeah yeah I guess um, looking at what they're missing um, I think we've spoken about a bit up top uh, they're definitely missing skilled midfielders with good kicking um, you know, as we said, Gray and Wingard are probably more forwards. Um, Wines, Sam Pal Pepper, uh, average kicks, maybe average to poor kicks, probably on the um, in terms of efficiency. And then Rocky Boken Ebert are probably just average kicks at best. So I really feel that they need to target skilled, good kicking midfielders, maybe a bit more towards the outside. Um, to really complement the inside balls they've got. Like, they've got guys who go win it. Now you need to be able to deliver it from your midfield into your forward line. Um, they definitely need uh, to strengthen that depth in their midfield. Um, you know, if they're going to let go of guys like Tumpus and stuff, then they need to get good, strong depth. Uh, they obviously need to sort out their ruckman um, with riders' injury history. Need to get, get another ruck in, um, and we'll speak about that in a minute. Um, and then I'd probably say, you know, um, key position backs is probably a place where they're a little bit short on as well. So Yeah. I've got backline depth in general. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yep. So, trades. Or free, let's start with free agents. Um, who who do you think? Um, you tell me who you think and then I'll go. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, so, uh, after this week's... Um, the way that this week has played out, I think that they could use um, a really experienced player in the back line, and I think that they played against him in that last game, which is in Brendan Goddard, and I wouldn't be afraid to offer him a two-year deal um, to bring him across and just settle um, settle those players behind the ball. And I think it's as much to develop your yeah, Burn Jones and um, this type of player as it is to um, start dominating, because I think that he really offers that, um, what do you call it, that veteran presence uh, that teams pay for in the NBA, and I think you could probably get him pretty cheap if you were saying, like, we're we're going hard for a flag now. Uh, we know we miss finals, but we're going hard for a flag now. You want to come across, here's a two-year deal, or a one-plus-one, depending on um, how you want to set it up, and, and get him in. Yep, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, how about you? I've got some others, but how about you, you go? Yeah, yeah. Um, probably the one that's been notable in the uh, in the media has been they're into Scott Lysette, a South Australian um, guy, and, and obviously he addresses that ruck problem. They've, By all accounts, they've got a fair bit of salary cap room available um, due to some very intelligent um, contract management, which is, you know, that's really, really a credit to their list management team that they've been able to keep that cash. So they're in a position where they can offer 
Scott Lysette a really good deal um, and they can get him across. And you've seen Scott Lysette this year when Nick Nat was um, playing with him. That's the sort of role that he can play for them while they've got Ryder. And, and it certainly improves their team as well. Yeah. And then when Ryder retires, probably looking in one to two years, given he's, you know, 31, 32, um, Lysette can take over the mantle as the, as the best 22 ruckman. Um, and by that stage, you'll have uh, Sam Hayes hopefully coming through as well. So I think that's a really, really important um, target for them to get. Yep. I'd agree with that. And I think that um, with... Polek moving out the door uh, so they'll have some money to spend as well I think that Lysette's the kind of player that they should try to use that money on um, so there's another player that I reckon that they probably could use their money on and that's Aaron Hall from the Gold Coast Suns and I have a couple of ideas of potential trades in mind for, for getting him out uh, but I think that Hall sort of fits in that classy um, midfielder and I think that he's good is better than Polex. He's is bad. It's worse. But I think that um, I think that Port Adelaide can protect his worse uh, better than Gold Coast could. Yeah, that's that's a really um, a good like for like. I think um, he's probably a little bit more outside, or uh, I think that's the terminology for a little bit softer than Polex, but. Um, at the same time, I, I don't think that role in Port's side is really one where you need to go fight for it. I think um, very much he would he would certainly with with Ollie Wines and Pow Pepper at the at the coalface and and Boak and Ebert there to support and Rocky as well. He would be a very good classy outside addition for them. Um, in the same mould, I also think Luke Dalhouse can can fill that as a free agent rather than a trade. Um, but you're probably going to be paying a bit more than. For, for Luke Dalehouse and your Wolfer Hall. Um, so that's that's another one I kind of had there. Yeah, so I've, I've got some others which I reckon that you might even disagree on, uh, which we we rarely get to a point where we completely disagree. Um, okay. But just, just given their position and the fact that I want them to be loading up and going, let's win the flag next year, uh, we're not going to wait around anymore, I would. there's four players that I think that they would go after. Otten from from Adelaide uh, to improve that veteran presence and key position defence. Jordan Roughhead from the Western Bulldogs as a like-for-like for for Trangove leaving uh, can play that tall key position defender and depth ruckman and you get him cheap, I'd reckon. Dale Thomas out of contract at Carlton but has shown that he can go behind the ball and control things and he's tough as nails and I reckon that they need a bit of that... um, I don't know, hardness about them. Um, I know that he's got some knocks on him, but I think everyone has knocks on them. So I think if you just take the good uh, and go after him, he'd be great. And Ben Jacobs out of North Melbourne. I think that if you could tack him, he's out of contract. I reckon if you could tack him onto one of these trades where they're trying to get players out, like your Polex, you would have a potentially really good midfield addition and someone that can just negate and let your other players do their jobs and he can just go in there and negate the opposition. Yeah, I agree on a few of them. <laughs> uh, ben Jacobs, I don't think they need. I don't think they need another butcher. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying with a, with a two-way runner, but he's, he's, um, he's not an improvement in their ball delivery out of the midfield and 
that for me is the disconnection. I don't feel like they've got a big issue in shutting players down. Um, Pal Pepper's shown he can do that. Um, Boke yeah, and Ebert have Ebert, both played yeah. run with roles. So, you know, I think it was Ebert played on Nat Fife in round one and was just superb. Like, um, shut out Fife, who's one of the best players. So I don't really feel that's an area they need to address. The 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 Jordan Roughhead, it's a... I guess if you're loading up for now, yes, go for it. Um, it won't break the bank. Daisy Thomas, I'm neither here nor there on that. So... Um, I, I think I rate him a lot higher than um, what other people do. I think that um, I I like his presence on the field, and I think that he is better in a better side. He hasn't been in a good side for a while, but I think he, he's better in good sides. Yeah, he is. Um, I guess I'll just kind of go, like, you know, looking at where he kind of fits in their team, and, you know, apart from that halfback role that they're trying to get Bonner to play... I guess that's the role he would probably end up taking. Um, is he is he an improvement on Bonner right now? Yes. Will you potentially lose Bonner for the future if you do this? Probably. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough one. I, I'm not against the idea. I think it works in my head, but I'm just not sure on if, if I would sacrifice a, a, a good future player who I really like in Riley Bonner. Yeah, I... Uh... I guess for me, I think that they should be doing everything to win now because when Bonner's coming into his prime, uh, this is the same with... Because there are other players in their side that I think he can also replace, which is Burn Jones, Houston, uh, Lineart. I think that he can go up to a wing if need be as well. But I think that all of those players will be hitting their straps when Port Adelaide is going down not when Port Adelaide could potentially win the flag now. And I think that they need to be bold and try to win it. Yeah, look, yeah, it's not a bad... Look, like I said, I, I don't, I'm a bit 50-50 on it, so I, I can see it working. I just, uh, I'm thinking more, what are the impacts? Um, and yeah, like they do, we, we do want them to go for it next year. So yeah, it might be one that they could do. Who, who was your first one again? Andy Otten. Yeah, I think he might be re-signing soon. Ah, okay. Something, yeah. something I heard, but yeah, he, like Andy Otten's a true, true clubman. He's a, he's a journeyman, I guess they call him these days. You know, had a lot of injuries and certainly would improve their defensive depth. I'm not sure if you went for Jordan Roughhead whether you'd go for both. So. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, that, that was just a handful of players that you could target. Yeah, um, the other, the other one that I'm surprised you mentioned is uh, George Hall and Smith. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't love George Hall and Smith. Um, I, I know that you're pretty keen on him, but for me, he's um, he's depth, and I know that he's probably better kick than a lot of their players. So he may, yeah, he might have a spot there. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like he, he's a South Australian boy. He's not going to cost you much. And if you're going for now, he's a guy who's been in a in a. I think has he won a. He was in the flag team, or may have been just after the flag. And can't remember. I think he might have been after the 2011 flag. Yeah, so he look he would he would be um, certainly a, a player that I think would help them um, in ter- definitely in terms of depth. But he isn't he probably doesn't break into your top sixteen players. He's definitely on that next bracket. Um, probably the one and the, and this is this might be a little bit um, what not controversial, but uh, one I'd love to see him have a crack at in terms of addressing their midfield. Um, given that they pro- if they can extract. Uh, North Melbourne's pick six or whatever it is. No, um, North, North Melbourne will have pick ten or eleven. Ten or yes, they'll finish oh, ninth. Yes. 
sorry, yeah, they'll they they'll if they win they jump port, don't they? So um yeah, well like even if they've got, you know, pick nine and ten or ten and eleven after the Gold Coast get their compo pick. Um I'd love to see him use one and go after Lockie Neal. I think he's what they need. So um you wanna you wanna go win now, go get some quality. Lockie Neal, you've got them they've got the cash in the bank. You know, potentially you add Scott Lysette and Lockie Neal to this team, um you're looking at a very, very good contender next year. Do you reckon they have the cash to get both of those guys, though? Well, the reports are that, uh, especially after Polek leaves, that they'll have over a million dollars in spare calories, salary cap under the 100%. So if they've banked some from last year, which I think they have, you know, potentially they can go up to 105% under the, the rollover salary cap rules. So... Um, I think they would be able to to be at, to get both, and especially when you look at you know if they, you know, some of these guys they'll be moving on. We'd be on a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think that yeah. I, I mean, I would of course you welcome in players that are that quality um, if you can get them. Um, I, th- I think it might be a bit of a stretch, and probably I just want to touch on the draft picks before I talk about this next trade suggestion. Um, so they're at the moment. Um, sitting ninth, but I think after uh, North Melbourne's game, they might slip to 10th. So they'll have a pick somewhere in that, um, what's that, like 11, uh, 10, 11, 9 um, sort of range. And I think after Gold Coast um, get their compensation pick early, then that might slip down one. Um, but at, at the latest, that'll be sitting at, what's that, um probably 10 and 11, um, probably that sort of area. So they'll have that pick there. They've got pick 21, uh, which they got from St Kilda in pick swaps, um, pick 28, pick 44, um, pick 46, and they don't have a fourth-round pick. So they actually have a really good draft hand already. Um, now, here's the trade. They okay. lose Polek. They lose Polek, and in the Polek uh, loss they get a draft pick from North Melbourne. So I'm going to say North Melbourne win this last game and finish ninth, and Port Adelaide finish 10th. So that means that their two picks will be uh, ten or 9 and 10, but they'll slip to 10 and 11. I w- would trade 10 and 11, or 9 and 10, or whatever combinations of picks it is, to Gold Coast for pick 3. And I think pick 3 is the perfect position for them to snare either... Uh, one of these South Australian boys. I don't think Lakotius will be available at three, um, but if they could get Isaac Rankin and play him in the forward line next year, it would free up Ro- uh, Robbie Gray and Wingard to play more midfield time, and they would draft a player that for the future that's going to be an absolute jet. Yeah, so that's a that's a very good trade. I like that. I'm just doing quickly. They, well, they lose. They um, lose on DVI. Don't don't worry. Like assuming that it's let's assume that it's. Um, I've assumed worst case scenario. It's ten and eleven, which means it's worth about twenty seven hundred, just over twenty seven hundred DVI points, and they would be losing out probably five hundred on DVI there um, to Gold Coast. But I think to trade up to, into that pick two three slot you have to give up more than what it's actually worth. I don't reckon Gold Coast will want to give away two. Um, so I think that that is a fair trade just based on what we know about this year's draft for both clubs because I think that Port Adelaide 
could benefit from a player that's going to come in and dominate now and getting a South Australian boy or I mean even if somehow Rankin and Lukosius went picks one and two uh, then having Sam Walsh like bringing in a player that is class exactly what they need all of those three are exactly what they need Um, and for Gold Coast to then have three selections um, I think it makes more sense for Gold Coast to take in one real top selection and get the best player that they can and then get a couple of other elite selections because they could do more with more players. Yeah, I don't mind that. That's a pretty good trade. Um, like you said, on the DVI, it's not quite balanced. It looks like there's about a, a late second round, early third round. Pick. Maybe that maybe that's pick. where Hall comes in. Yeah, yeah, that's a pick. Yeah, so I think it's pick 37 on the DVI calculator is the yeah. equivalent pick. So, yeah, so maybe... Throw, throw, in a, throw in pick 44 as well and, and get Hall coming back. I wouldn't even throw it in, just off a 10-11 for pick three and Aaron Hall. Yeah. yeah that'd it'd, it'd that'd value Hall at pick 37. So yeah, that's, that's a, if they could pull off something like that, that's a winning deal for me. And that, that means you're probably getting Rankin or, or Walsh. And yeah. They could do with either player. Um, yeah. Rankin would be amazing. Um, well, Rankin, Rankin or Walsh or Lukosius, mate? Because uh, I know that uh, everyone seems to think that it's a foregone conclusion that Lukosius will go first. I think that Sam Walsh will go first. And if Sam Walsh goes first and Gold Coast are then choosing between Rankin, Lukosius, uh, Bailey Smith and the two Kings, I think that Bailey Smith would probably suit their game plan better than anybody else, um, given that he's a tough midfielder and more what they need. So... Both of the South Australians could be available at three. I think if Gold Coast, and, and this is probably delving into our our, uh, our cheeky episode next week. Yeah. Um, but buy round episode. If, yeah. Yeah, the buy round episode, and looking at the top ten or eleven picks. I think if if I'm Gold Coast and I've got um, and I've tra- I'm trading away pick three, I'm going to get Lacocious because I've lost Tom Lynch. So that's yeah. that's a that's a replacement there. And then at yeah, you're right. At pick. 10 and 11, I'm probably going to be looking at, at going for two midfielders to, to yeah, address right. that. Because I think yeah, the, mid, yeah. the midfield depth here is 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 a lot stronger in this draft. So, um, yeah, I, look, it's a good trade because I think that that'll mean that, that uh, Port can get their hands on on Rankin, which would be yep. great. But even, even if they've got pick 10 and 11 or 9 and 10 or whatever it is, um, there's still some really good players around there that I think that would they'd value. Um, your boy Connor Rosie is probably a perfect fit for them. Yeah, he's he's moving up uh, people's boards at the end of the year um, yeah. due to some good senior sample form. So around that pick ten or eleven slot, he could be there. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes a little bit earlier, but he's he's a perfect sort of position for them. He, him and I, I think Jai Caldwell, um, who uh, I know he's had some knocks because of his injuries, but he's a good player. I mean, he's a really he's one of those players I think we might look back at and go, geez, if he didn't have his injury, he would have been a top six or seven player." Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. He's a bit he's a bit like the Alex Witherden almost. Maybe maybe not as as severe an injury, but yeah, like he's he's one of those ones that's really um, slipped due to um, injuries. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, at pick ten, eleven, I've got you know Rosie, Riley Collier, Dawkins, and and Curtis Taylor is probably three options. Um, yeah, and Corwell probably comes into there as well. Um, also, pick twenty one, you know that they can still pick up good players there. You know Xavier Dersman or maybe an Ian Hill even out of that pick. Yep. You know Ian Hill helps them address that outside. 
Um, so yeah, like I mean, I think they've they've got such a strong draft hand. They they've got a lot of possibilities in front of them. But doing what they've done previously in terms of like downgrading their early picks into multiple second rounders is just not an option this year. Like bundle them up and go up the order. Don't go down. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it can't be done again this year. They have to keep as many high selections as they possibly can. And Port Adelaide also have um, some NGA players that will probably come feature later in the piece, but they're still good kids. Yeah, absolutely. They've got this um, Martin Frederick, uh, who is South Sudanese, who's in their NGA. Um, and if you get online and watch some of the highlights of him from the championships, you'll see... Uh, an athletically gifted line-breaking halfback flanker who seems to be a reasonably decent user of the footy. So in a lot of ways, I probably, if I was them, I wouldn't be too disheartened in losing um, Jared Polek because, you know, this this guy, Frederick, looked like he could come along very nicely. Um, and the other one they've got is a, a kid called Kai Pudney, who's, uh, I believe, of Japanese um, descent. And, and so he's in the NGA as because of his... Um, because of that Japanese descent, but he's a bit more of an inside grunt player, I guess, a bit like um, a Sam Powell Pepper. Um, but he, his biggest knock on him is probably his disposal. It's not overly flash, but it's something that he certainly improved on this year by all accounts. Um, but he's certainly a hard worker, lays a lot of tackles. Um, he's been in the under-18 competition. He's been in the best seven out of 11 games. So shows you that the kid works hard and everything. And, and you know, he probably won't attract a, a bid from another side, which means they can take him as a Category B rookie. Yeah. Do you have anything else, mate, or is it we're going to move into your final words? I guess my final words are, uh, <laughs> are pretty simple. Um, we, we harped on about it at the start, but get your coaching sorted. Um, there's no use bringing in finishing players and then changing to a very defensive strategy and, and stodgy ball movement. It's just not a good idea. Um, you go from the number one attacking team to the number 12, um, where you've had a 14-8 and eight winning record and you've ch- shifted to a defensive structure um, and you've gone you know, to a 12-10 and 10 season. So you've lost two more games being more defensive, which shows you that it's your attack that wins you the games. Um, And not only that, last year their defence wasn't that bad. They were the number two defensive team across the season on points. Um, And this year they've slipped to number nine. So they've conceded, you know, as many points as, um, you know, guys like Kangaroos and stuff, whereas last year they were the the second in that. Um, So... Get your game plan sorted, get your coaching sorted, stop the arrogant selection decisions, um, pick for your structure, um, and and really get back to what made you a good team and, and a team that was pushing the top four last year. So get focused on your ball movement, utilise the guys you've brought in for their skills, load up and have another crack. You've got a great draft hand, you've got money in the bank. You know, a flag is not out of the realms of possibilities in the next three years if you get it right now. So um, that's about all I got, mate. How about you? Yeah, I think that the the getting back to what they were good at is important because they're, Hinkley's been there for probably six years now, and they got to a level and they've sort of just maintained that level. They have never really gone past it um, and cracked into the top four, which I think this list should be doing. 
And guys like Gray, who two or three years ago were absolutely dominating and the reason for them moving up are getting older and probably losing their impact. So if they're going to capitalize on it, it has to be now. They've got a good middle band, people between the ages of 24 and 28, that will still make a lot of impact as well as good senior players. And they need to not be afraid uh, of going... I don't know. They need to not be afraid of dying, like as in of loading up with senior players now, not winning a flag, and then dropping off catastrophically and falling down the ladder. I think that history um, is made up of the winners, and we look back and we look at we remember who won the flag. We don't remember who finished second, or we don't remember who finished sixth and seventh and everything like that. So constantly half arsing it and going we can we can take some middle second third round picks and we can sneak through anyway isn't going to cut it you need to get elite players in you need to get senior players in and you need to win in the next as you said three years but I reckon next year you need to be thinking we can win this and you need to not worry about what the media is going to say about that and not worry about everything else and because if you do you'll end up middling and you'll end up finishing sixth next year and missing finals and all of that. Don't don't care about what everyone else says. Just focus on you and do better than what you're doing right now. Spot on. And that's all. And I mean, as Sean mentioned, we're going to have a exciting midweek buy podcast. Uh, well, not midweek. We're going to have a buy podcast that we're going to cover in this week. Um, so we're going to be looking at the draft and what not only what your club um, should be doing, but we're going to be looking at the top end and really nutting out how we think that's going to pan out both uh, in terms of current draft order and some potential trades that might happen to shuffle that around. So do listen in. It's going to be an exciting podcast. And and thanks for listening for all this time so far. We've passed um, we've passed a couple, like the 1,000 and a bit mark, so we might be up to 1,200 listens now, uh, which we love. And, I mean, it's really uh, awesome to, to hear that people have heard the podcast, so having conversations with people that are in the football circles and them saying, oh, yeah, I was speaking to someone the other day and they brought up your podcast out of the blue, which is it's really exciting. And it doesn't happen without you people listening, so um, keep listening, keep giving us feedback, and... Yeah, we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Um, uh, Thank you again, Sean, for your time. Thank you, John, and thanks, everyone, for listening. It really does mean a lot to us, so really appreciate it.